as we all know, life is full of experiences. It's full of emotion, it's full of its ups and its downs, it's full of its good times and bad times, it's full of joy, it's full of depression. And you know, considering these things, whether a person is a Christian or not, we all face the same types of things in life. We experience life and we experience death and we experience everything in between. But you know, as a Christian though, Satan, he is ever trying to throw everything he has uh, in, uh, at us in order to keep us from serving the Lord Almighty. And one of the things that he tries to do in order to keep us from being faithful to the Lord is try to look at life in the wrong way. And he tries to get us to think that it's really not worth the effort and the time being a child of God. And he tries to discourage us in every possible way that he can. And so with that in mind, I'd like to talk about the importance of having a positive outlook and attitude on life and help us focus on why, what we, uh, why we do what we do as we live for the Lord. Now, in life, you basically have two kinds of people. You have pessimists and you have optimists. Now, optimists, are all, they're, they're people always trying to look at the good in every situation. Well, on the hand, you've got pessimists who, you know, life is just full of lemons. And if I look at my own life, I consider myself to be an optimist. Now, Melissa may tell you that at times I'm too optimistic, that things just simply aren't reality in some situations as far as what I see the outcome is going to be. But, you know, be that as, as it may, there is no doubt that all people have different outlooks on life and experiences on life. There's a man named Clement Stone, and he said this. He said, there is little difference in people, but that little difference makes a big difference. The little difference is attitude. The big difference is whether it's positive or negative. And building upon that, there's another man by the name of Norman Vincent Peale who once stated that any fact facing us is not as important as our attitude toward it. For that determines our, our success or failure and how true that is. And that is what we're going to see in our study this morning. And so as we begin, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. In fact, we'll all go all the way back to, uh, to um, Numbers chapter 13. And when we look at Numbers chapter 13, we find the story of the 12 spies of Israel. Now it was one day that God approached Moses and he says to Moses as we pick up in verse number two here in this chapter he says send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I'm giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man every one a leader among them and so after receiving these instructions by God Moses does as he's commanded to do and so he goes and he chooses 12 men to be spies for Israel. And so as these men are gathered there before Moses, Moses has this audience to these men, and he tells them to check out the land of Canaan. He tells them to see what kind of a land it's like, to see if see what the people are like. Are the people strong? Are the people weak? See how many there are. Are they big in number? Are they small? See if the land itself is good or if it's bad. Take account of what their cities are like. Are they weak? like tents or are they strong do they have fortified uh, structure and also bring some fruit back 
so we can know how plentiful this land is. And so the men do just this. They go over to the land of Canaan as, as spies, and we're told that they pick all kinds of fruit. And the Bible says, this, uh, this just jumps off the page at me, and it's just remarkable, that one of the things they did is they, they cut off a cluster of grapes. And that cluster of grapes, just to show how plentiful this land was, they had, they had to have two men carry this cluster of grapes on the pole. And that's just how plentiful this place was. But anyway, anyway, they spend 40 days there, and so they make their way back to Moses, and they have reports about what the land of Canaan is like and what the people are, uh, what the people are who dwell in it. And so here's the report. They say, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, after giving this report, one of the spies was named Caleb. And Caleb was quite eager to take advantage of God's promise that Israel could have that land of Canaan. Because he states in verse number 30, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And so he's full of zeal. He said, let's go do it. God gave it to us. Let's go get it. But, you know, not all the spies were as eager as Caleb was. In fact, there were 10 spies. Of all the 12 spies that went, there were 10 of them that had quite differing outlooks about this land of Canaan. And listen to how they react to what Caleb says unto this multitude here. He says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great, sta uh, of great statue. There we saw the giants, and the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, listening to this explanation or this description by these ten spies, and after hearing what Caleb had said, they're thinking, Caleb, you're nuts. There is no way we could go over into that land. Did you not notice how big those guys were? And how little we were in them? They would destroy us. There's no way we could overtake that land. And so because of that attitude that they had, even though God had promised them this land, because of that negative attitude, it created a snowball effect, and the children of Israel became, be, uh, began to become discouraged and developed a neg negative attitude just as those ten spies had had. And listen to what they said as we continue now in chapter 14. Because it says there, beginning at verse 1, So all the, the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt, 
This is remarkable to me of what their attitude is like all of a sudden. Now, you remember how their life was back in Egypt. There were slaves there. Nobody wants to be a slave. Yet, when they're in, their, uh, in their circumstance here, they would rather go back to Egyptian slavery than to, you know, not go into the land of Canaan and be destroyed by these people. And so, Joshua and Caleb, being the other two of these 12 spies, they try to calm these people down and try to encourage them that be, they be able to take the land. But the children of Israel, got, they got so mad that they wanted to stone them to death. They wouldn't have any part of going into that land. Well, due to their disbelief in the Lord, it caused many to perish in the wilderness as God would not allow the generation to inherit the land of Canaan. But he did, however, allow Caleb and Joshua and their families to go to Canaan, but nobody else in that generation was allowed to go in. Now, and so that ends our story just for this illustration this morning. But from this story, we can learn three things about having a negative attitude and what it can lead to. You see, when, we, when negative attitudes are allowed to develop, we, number one, stop believing in God, and we stop believing in ourselves. You know, that is not to say that we altogether become agnostic or we all of a sudden became, become an atheist, although that can happen. But what I mean to say that is, is that we begin to not believe in what God has promised for His children. Now, when you look at Israel... Israel did not truly believe God and that he had promised the inheritance of Canaan because if they had believed it, they would have believed in themselves to overtake the land and it didn't matter how big those people were or how small they were or how big a number or how small a number those people were. They would have believed in God and believed in themselves that they could overtake this land. After all, God has given them this land. But you know, when we allow negative attitudes to overtake us, we then begin to doubt if God is really taking care of us. We begin to doubt if He is truly gives us peace or if He truly gives us joy or if He truly gives us hope in this life. And not only that, but when that begins to develop in our, in our minds, it then leads us to stop believing in ourselves and it causes us to stop trying. And, you know, as just was the case with the Israelites, if that's going to be the case, we have already lost the battle with this type of attitude. But, you know, a second thing we can learn from the Israelites is that if we allow negative attitudes to develop, we then begin to discourage others around us. You know, you look at the example of those spies there in Israel. It all began with just 10 men. And from that, had the 10 spies had the same attitude of Caleb and Joshua, Israel would have had a different outlook. They would have had a positive frame of mind and determination to get what God had promised them. But due to the negative attitude of just 10 men, an entire nation, an entire nation was discouraged and they developed the same attitude. Now, let's bring it a little bit closer to home. 
Imagine within, within a congregation the negative influence that even one person could have within a congregation or even a family or a relationship. It could snowball unto other people so that other people could become discouraged because of what a person thinks about maybe a work that a congregation is doing or whatever the case may be. It can cause others to have a gloomy outlook on the situation. And so that leads us to the third thing of what we can learn from the story is that number three, if we allow negative attitudes to develop, we fail to reach goals that God has placed for us. Now the reason why is really tied into the first point because we've already lost the battle before we even begin. You see, we see the situation and, and we see that we don't see any possible benefit from it, therefore we don't even try. And perhaps we may become so discouraged that we have no motivation to accomplish great works for the Lord. But negative attitudes, we must understand, are nothing but distractions that Satan throws in front of us to keep us from being zealous, to keep us from being eager, and to keep us from being diligent for the Lord. And that generation of Israel was not allowed into that promised land. And neither shall we if we allow Satan to overtake our lives with negative attitudes that prevent us from doing what the Lord wills. But seeing these three things here, and seeing, having seen what a negative attitude can lead to, I want to now take a look at the other side of the coin of what a positive attitude can lead to and the great success that could come from it. And we're going to look at another story from the Old Testament, and that's with the story of Nehemiah. Now, when the book first opens for Nehemiah, we find that word gets to him that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and its gates had been burned. Now, the, the, the news falls quite heavily, heavy on Nehemiah's heart to the point that he, it really impacted his life. He wept about it. But then he prayed about it too. And so it impacted his life so much that there was one day that he was attending to the king's needs. And the king, you know, he, he, he noticed Nehemiah and he noticed Nehemiah just wasn't quite himself. Something was bothering Nehemiah. He thought, or perhaps Nehemiah was sick. And so he asked, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And it was at that point that Nehemiah began to explain the situation down in Jerusalem, how it lied in waste. And so after hearing this story, the king says, well, you need to go and do something about it then. And so what he does the king sent, he sent a letter with Nehemiah with the commission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so as Nehemiah, he made his way down, and he finally made his way, uh, he arrived at Jerusalem. And when he arrived at Jerusalem, he took an assessment of the ruins within the city. He saw the walls, certainly they were in ruin. He saw the gates, certainly they had been burned, just as he had heard. And so after taking this assessment, he goes to the officials and and this is what he has to say to the officials now as we look at chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had, helped, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, 
Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. You see, Nehemiah's positive attitude had impacted the men in a positive way to do a good work. You see, it states in chapter 4 and 6 that the people had a mind. The people had a mind to work. They were determined. And they were encouraged and zealous to perform this good work. But as they built this wall, though, there was some opposition. There was some ridicule on the way. Opposition came, and, and the opposition belittled the Jews. And they said, you know, you Jews, all you're doing is just vanity. Because as soon as you guys bid up those walls, we're going to come by, and we're going to destroy them altogether. But, you know, this really just encouraged them. It motivated the Jews even more to finish the walls, and we find that it took them 52 days to complete that task. And that just simply is amazing to me, of the determination of just, uh, of just to complete this good work. Now, this is a story is a great one to keep in mind when we think about have, uh, having a positive attitude and what it can lead to. And from it, just like we learned from the, from, from the story of the Israelites with those 12 spies, we learned three things as well about having a positive attitude. You see, when positive attitudes are maintained, we continue to believe in God and our ability to serve Him. Now, Nehemiah did just this. He believed in his God and believed the Lord was behind him in this great work. And this motivated him to accomplish this great task of rebuilding the walls. And you know, when we ourselves begin to believe in God and trust His promises and understand that He is with us and He will never ever fail us, we then begin to feel uplifted. We then begin to feel encouraged and we've had the strength and we have the motivation to accomplish great things. And there may be some things that just might seem impossible to some people, but as we all know, with God all things are possible. We can do some great things. But not only that, but when positive attitudes are maintained, we encourage those around us and we overcome those who try to discourage us in our way. You know, from the vision he determined of one man being Nehemiah, an entire army of men saw the good of accomplishing this task. It did not falter when opposition tried to belittle and discourage them. Now, a little bit closer to home. Just as we talked about the negative attitude of one person, perhaps within a relationship or family or a congregation, just flip that around. Think of the positive impact of encouraging words from one person in a congregation. Think of what the congregation can do. A congregation could be set on fire with positive outlooks and positive attitudes. and they'll be able to overcome any obstacles that may face them. Thirdly, when a positive attitudes are maintained, people ultimately reach goals that God has placed before them. You know, this is true with Nehemiah and the others in, in accomplishing the goal of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now with them, when it first started, it might have seemed like a long and tedious and difficult task, but day by day, they were able to do it. It was step by step. 
And you know, we may be faced with some enduring trials or some persecutions in life, but with a, if, with a positive attitude about the situation, we're gonna be able to overcome, overcome it, even though it may seem impossible, step by step. We're gonna be able to do it. Well, how is this possible? How do we stay optimistic when we find ourselves perhaps so overwhelmed or maybe discouraged about something? How do we maintain a positive attitude in life? Well, the fact of the matter is, we have the ability to control our own attitudes and our own moods. Nobody else has that power but you yourself. Now, we may not be able to control or change the circumstances, but we can control how we react to certain things. For example, when things get hard for you, you can choose to rejoice in those trials and those persecutions. You think, how in the world? How do you do something like that? Well, for one thing, James wrote this, James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so how are we supposed to rejoice in persecutions or trials? How do we prepare our minds to do this? Well, the key, as James tells us here in verse number three, is that it comes with us having the understanding that the testing of our faith produces patience. If you cannot grasp that, then you're going to have a difficult time with various trials that you face. And you know, Paul wrote about a similar thing over in Romans chapter 5. Paul wrote this in verses 3 through 4. He says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. You see, Paul adds that as we maintain a positive attitude in trials, our character develops into a better person or a stronger person. We become stronger, our hope is strengthened, we have a greater peace of mind. But one other thing that helps us in this, as Paul later writes in chapter 12 and 12 of the book of Romans, is that we must be steadfast in prayer. You know, Prayer is an essential key to maintaining a positive attitude. You know, the more you pray, the more you begin to focus upon God. And the more you begin to focus upon God, the more you become to rely upon God. And the more you become to rely upon God, upon God, the more you're strengthened by Him. It starts with prayer. It's an essential key. Yet sometimes what we may do, sometimes what I may do, is it's like prayer is just the last option. And that shouldn't be the case. It's an essential key. You know, we may not have the character of Job, who had praised and worshiped the Lord after losing practically all he had, including his children. But you know, we could all start somewhere. You know, these are things that you're just not born with. They take time to develop. But as we continue to develop them, our outlook and our attitude of life in the Lord will shine brightly to those even around us. You know, another thing that we can do to maintain a positive attitude is to block out negativity. And one way to do this 
is to avoid negative self-talk. And you could do this by, and I mean, when I talk about negative self-talk, it's attitudes like, well, I just can't do this, or this is just too hard for me to be able to do. Because with this type of attitude, you're not even giving yourself a chance. And just like those people of Israel that we've talked about already, you've already lost the battle because you won't even begin it. Avoid negative self-talk. But another, you could also block out negativity by avoiding negative people. Now, we've seen these types of people before. These types of people seem to have nothing good to say about anybody or anything. They simply may have a sour outlook on life altogether. And you know, if we're around such individuals, it might not be long until that kind of attitude may rub off, may rub off on us if we're not careful. I mean, after all, Paul did write in his first epistle to the Corinthians, he said that evil company corrupts good habits. And certainly that is the case in a whole spectrum of, of things, but especially in this situation. But another way that you can block out negativity is by surrounding yourself with positive people. Be around people who are going to encourage you to take on a task or to keep pressing on for the prize that waits before us. Surround yourself with those who will refresh your spirit and not discourage it. Be around people who are willing to lend a helping hand if you're feeling overwhelmed in a trial or a task in your life. It is very important that we fill our minds in companionship with the right thoughts and with the right people. And if we do so, our lives are going to be so much easier. There's going to be less obstacles and less opposition that we face in life. But one last thing that we must do in order to maintain a positive attitude is to live in the present and leave the past behind us. You know, we all have regrets in life. And we just need to accept our mistakes and we just need to move on. And yet there are just some people that just can't seem to forgive themselves and let things go. And you know, if anyone could have lamented over his past, I would guess it would have been Paul. You know, Paul, he did so much harm and damage to the church back when he be, before he became a disciple of the Lord. You know, he, he persecuted men and women, some even to the point of death, because of their belief in the Messiah. But God be praised that he changed his life around. He became the Apostle Paul. And one thing that helped him in life was to not dwell on the things that he had once done, but to press forward to the goal. And he writes about this in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 here, verses 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What wonderful words from Paul. And certainly words that we all can learn, uh, can learn from. That we cannot let the things of our past become a ball and chain in our lives. Because all it's going to do is just discourage us through life if we just can't let go of it. 
We should turn that focus, rather, to that which lies ahead and make every effort to reach the goal. And you know, this type of attitude in life, it really helped Paul through the rest of his life. As he, and one thing that I like to read is what he wrote to Timothy in his last epistle to him. It says there, 2 Timothy 4 and 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He was sure, just because of the outlook that he had on his life. As we conclude this morning, when you think about your life as a Christian, we have every reason to have a positive attitude in our spiritual growth. I mean, we know that God is ever ready to help us grow. He has provided us his word and he's also provided us the privilege of prayer, a prayer to help us on our way. He's also even created the church to, to provide an environment that even promotes growth. And so when we face trials and when we face persecutions, we will know that our labor is not in vain. Yet if we do fall, God is still loves us and he forgives us and he's there to pick us back up. I'll leave you with the words of William James. He said this, he said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that man can alter his life simply by altering his attitude of mind. And so the choice is yours. What kind of a life do you want to live today? Do you want to live a life of positivity that pleases God and will get you to heaven? Or rather, do you want to live a life that does not believe in God, even though uh, enough to put a positive attitude of faith and hope and joy in your life? Really, you have the choice. No one else has that power to make that choice for you. The choice is in your hands. But if you choose wisely, God's going to be there. He's going to be there for you and through it all. And so, it is very important that we maintain a positive attitude in our life at all times. And let us never be bogged down by the things of life, but ever be pressing toward the goal, as Paul said. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.